Hey there, my name is Erin Deal, and I'm a half-Southern, half-Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world, and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Welcome to Failed It, the podcast that reminds you, you have to fail in order to improve. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of Improve It and your host. And today I've got my friend, my confidant, my sister, Lauren Fritz. Welcome to Failed It. Hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to toot your little horn a minute. Okay. We're going to do some tooting. <laughs> was that a toot? That was, that was like a perfect timing little sound effect right there. Like, boom. It absolutely was. I thought I had closed all of my noisy apps, and apparently there's one still lingering. No, that was perfect. That was on cue. So keep <laughs> it going. Keep it going. Let's do it again. Okay. So no gifts or no mistakes, only gifts. That's the, that's the name of the game here. So. All right, I'm going to tell everybody your background because it is an impressive one, my friends. So Lauren Fritz, as vice president of marketing for the Cubs, Lauren oversees all fan engagement touch points for the Cubs and Wrigley Field, inclusive of CRM, brand identity, activations, events, multi-platform advertising, promotions, broadcast relations, game day entertainment, social media, and Cubs productions. She's bored. So previously, Lauren was global director of consumer engagement for Gatorade, where she drove creative and media go-to-market strategies and had accountability for brand-owned experiential activations, influencer marketing, and sports culture driving platforms. Now, under her leadership, Gatorade Creative Assets, events, and media partnerships were consistently awarded top industry honors. Prior to joining Gatorade, Lauren spent time in lobbying and public affairs, working with sports team owners, worked in the Kansas City Chiefs Media Relations Department, and spent time in the Sprint Corporate Partnership Group working on NASCAR. (sighs) That is a lot, sis. I love the sports. You love the sports. Go sports. I mean, that is some good stuff. Welcome again to Failed It. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, let me tell the Failed It fam real quick how we know each other. Let's do, it. Let's do it, right? I think they should know. I think we should know. So I don't know if you remember this, Lauren, but this is one of my favorite Lauren Fred's memories. So we met through a mutual friend. Her name is Ashley. We're just going to say it right now. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Hey. And she's, she's one of my best friends and you met working together And then it was her bachelorette party in Santa Barbara, Florida, and we took some wine shots. Now, what are wine shots? Those are shots of wine from a wine glass. So you feel less bad about the shots that you're taking. And then at the end of the night, you and I started singing together, like literally gazing. It felt like it was like we were on a a video set, like we were in the video. We never met before, and we had to share a bedroom, remember? (laughs) Ashley like put us in the outhouse all the other girls were in the main house and she's like my two friends who misbehave are sleeping in the back I think that's how it went down it's 100% it and then you I'll just never forget like we stood there like really feeling the words to free by Zach Brown band and we were just like (laughs) I think there was an ironing board involved too why but yeah yeah, those wine shots. Oh, wine shots. But it, there was the, we were like, you were on one side of the ironing board. I was on the other. 
It was beautiful. And a friendship was made. And then that sort of parlayed into the wedding where we then sang karaoke in the car on the way from the like rehearsal to the wedding rehearsal dinner. And okay, I'm just so happy that you're here. I love your career. I think you are a wonderful human being. But I think what's really exciting is that you have such an impressive background. I think our failed at family, as you know, a lot of them are in the corporate world. Some are entrepreneurs, but a lot, most are in the corporate world. And we have just read this amazing bio. I want to start with what you said was, I love the sports. What made you want to work in sports and marketing? Yeah, you know, so I grew up in a sports family. My dad was the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs for, gosh, like 20 years. Um, My stepmom worked in corporate partnerships at both the Kansas City Royals, the Kansas City Wizards, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I just sort of grew up around it and always found kind of the, the energy of sports and the storytelling behind sports and the way that sports brings people together to be really inspiring. So I feel like the bug just bit me at a really early age. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to actually have family that worked in sports to kind of help pave the way to get me there because, you know, the the jobs are coveted and it can be tough to break in sometimes. So, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, um, I was like very um, lucky to have a little bit of nepotism on my side in terms of, you know, family that already worked in the industry. Yeah. Oh my God. I did not know your dad was the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. I had no idea. Oh yeah. When I was in high school, boys used to call my house, not to talk to me. They used to call to see if my dad would answer to see if he sounded the same on the phone as he did on the radio. So that was, that was a joy. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what was the verdict? Was it a, was it a resounding? Yes. He sounds the same. I think so. Like, I remember even as a kid, we would be in line at the Pizza Hut picking up our pizza and he would like say, you know, I'm here for my pepperoni pizza and like heads would turn because, you know, people knew his voice. They didn't know his face, but they knew his voice. Oh my God. I love that. I feel like that's got to be cool growing up with a parent who really has a knack for speaking, right? Because everybody, you're absolutely right. People can see, like, like I could, for example, we had somebody on the show recently, his name's DJ Pryor. I don't know if you ever saw this internet video of him being the world's greatest dad. He was talking with his little son and his son was like making all these hand gestures. And anyway, his voice is so catching. Like I I literally could turn on anything and be like, okay, that's DJ because his voice is just so radiating. And I'm sure for your dad, it was probably a blessing and a curse because he probably couldn't go anywhere without having people hear him speak. You know, that's him. Well, you have that too, Erin. You have a very distinguished, joyful, like I'd know your voice anywhere. Bless. Thank you. You know what? I call it a nasal twang. It's like Fran Drescher on a farm. Okay. It's it's something. It's it's what I got. I'm working with it. <laughs> I know my brand. I know my brand. I'm, wor- I'm trying here, Lauren. I'm trying. I mean, oh God. Well, okay. Let me start there too. I think this is a good question. What? You know, you were talking about these guys calling your house in high school. And I I think when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, which AKA is like your resume, and I looked at your bio, I'm like, dang, this girl is on fire. Like Alicia Keys. Um, But what would you say? I know you, everybody starts off in a different mind space when they're younger. What would you tell your younger self now, like knowing what you've gone through and the career that you've had, go back to high school, Lauren, what would you tell high school Lauren? Oh, geez. I mean, I think probably some of the most important lessons that I've learned that I would tell myself, because I've always, even when I was younger, been a very like busybody, And it wasn't until maybe like midway through my time at Gatorade that a supervisor said the words, I don't know if they're his words or if, you know, he uh, plagiarized from someone else, but the idea of like, don't confuse activity with progress. Mm. And that like clicked for me for some reason. And I realized that like, I was, you know, I've always kind of been the person that like, I'll say yes to everything and I'll do everything and I'll drive myself into the ground trying to get things done. And I think that shows ambition and motivation. 
But sometimes, you know, 75% of what you're doing is busy work and doesn't really matter. And you're not giving the right headspace to the 25% of the work that actually like moves the ball forward. And so I think it, you know, once that clicked for me in my career, I was able to like really make some step change opportunities happen because I was more focused on like the things that mattered instead of trying to keep all the balls in the air. Um, But man, I learned that lesson way too late. (laughs) Mm. When did you learn it? Like, how old were you when you learned that? I I was, gosh, I was probably like 30. Yeah. It takes time though, right? I was the same way. I relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that listening because as I think it's almost like a badge of honor in your 20s. Like, I'm so busy. I'm so tired, you know, and it's not like, it's not, it's truly not your mental health is the badge of honor, you know, and progress is the badge of honor. The numbers are the badge of honor. So that's very cool. Cause I'm thinking about just knowing kind of how I know you now you've spent, when I met you, you were at Gatorade and you worked with Ashley, our mutual friend. Hello again, Ashley. I hope you're listening. Um, now, <laughs> so I know that you and your crew and team, first of all, I've, I've been to some of your activations that you put together and they were just always fantastic. I also know about the travels that you had from Ashley and, you know, you've gone, you shot commercials for Gatorade was part of your job and one of the facets of your job. And you went on some really cool locations. Like you went to Africa on a trip. What are, what is one of your favorite memories from working there? Cause you were there 11 and a half years, right? Yeah. Um, oh man, probably my favorite memory was, um, we were launching Gatorade in New Zealand. So the product had never been in New Zealand and we had a, a PepsiCo bottling relationship developed that allowed us to launch in New Zealand. And the president of Gatorade at the time, um, powerhouse woman who I'm so proud to have as a mentor, Sarah Rob O'Hagan, she's a New Zealand native. So she's, you know, supposed to be coming back to New Zealand to launch Gatorade in her homeland alongside Usain Bolt. And about a maybe a week or two before this launch in New Zealand is supposed to happen, Sarah announces that she's leaving to go be the CEO of Equinox. Mm. So they send me instead, which I'm like, these poor people in New Zealand think that like (laughs) this, you know, New Zealand born and bred executive is coming alongside one of the most famous athletes in the world. And then they get stuck with Lauren Fritz. (laughs) 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 Usain was still there because he was the real draw anyway. But um, it was just the most surreal experience because I basically stepped into, you know, her shoes for that event. And you know, we were helicoptered all over, um, you know, different parts of New Zealand for him to visit different areas. We grand marshaled a race. We had like this private meal with um, all of these elected officials and members of their government. Um, there was a, um, I'm going to forget, the, I'm, I'm going to try not to, oh man, what's it called? There's like the, I think it's the Hakka dance that they do. It's like native to New Zealand and they you know, perform it expressly for, for Usain and I, and just, it was one of those things where we're, you know, flying around in the helicopter at one point. And I'm like, who gets to do this? Like, Mm. how, how is this me? And again, I got the opportunity because, uh, you know, our former CEO had, had left, but, um, it was still just one of those really cool moments that I'm like, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, we see it a lot at the Cubs. There's a lot of people who go out and chase autographs from famous people, right? And I'm like, man, I, I'm not chasing autographs because I was chasing memories. Like I have legitimate mm. with like some amazing athletes who are also amazing humans at amazing sporting events. And I I have, ne- it's never like lost on me. Um, mm. Every time I'm pinching myself. I mean, that in itself is a story for the ages. I mean, that's, so freaking cool. And I think I know what a great leader you were because when I met you at Ashley's bachelorette party, <laughs> I did not know you were her boss for literally like the whole time till you left. And because you had to leave early, I remember for your kids, which is so cool. But I was like, that was your boss. I was like, 
what? Like she, you know, and I could, everyone just respects you so much. And, and the events that I attended when you were at Gatorade were just, you know, you just have this wonderful, calming leadership quality to you that I think in, in a positive leadership quality that is so important to have. And I think that just shows the fact that you said too, none of this was lost on me is just so cool. I, that is a cool ass story, Lauren Fritz. I hope if children are listening, I'm going to put a preface in the beginning earmuffs because I just said a, a wordy dirt. Um, um, I, I'm like the least suitable for work. Exactly. Okay. There is. <laughs> All right. Fair. Okay. Great. Good. 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 All right. So let's go. Let's talk to the next role that you came into, which is now your current role. You're now the VP of marketing for the Chicago Stinkin' Cubs. And they're not stinking. They're amazing. They're I'm obsessed with the Cubs. And I've lived in Chicago for 15 years, recently moved, lived on the north side, most of my time in Chicago. What did you do when you found out you got this job? Which it is a very cool job to have. What did you do when you found out this was your job? Okay, so the... Maybe just before I knew for sure it was mine, the craziest thing happened because um, a former coworker of mine, uh, her father passed and um, they lived down in like the um, Peoria area. And I was driving to Peoria to go to the wake. And I got the call from the headhunter saying, they weren't saying the job is yours, but they were basically saying, we need you to come in and meet with, um, you know, with, with Theo and with Tom Ricketts, the owner, and but you're the only one coming in. So it's basically yours to lose, you know, but we really want you to meet, you know, both of these um, folks and make sure that they bless you. That'll get you off on the right foot. Um, so at that point, I'm like, okay, I hopefully I'm good enough that I won't totally blow it with those two men. So I'm wrestling with this decision of like, you know, you go through kind of a job interview process and you want them to want you, right? Like you want to get picked. And sometimes you don't always think like, well, if I get picked, do I, do I really want this job? Like, and I was so happy at Gatorade and I worked with some of my greatest friends, still some of my greatest friends in the world and traveled the world and, you know, got to be so creative. And, um, it was, you know, really tough. And I started to panic like, oh my gosh, do I really want to leave that? And, and go take on this new opportunity. And I get to the funeral and I am not kidding, Aaron. My friend's dad had asked to be buried in a Cubs jersey. Stop. I walk in and he's in his casket in a Cubs jersey. Oh my God. And my husband like looks at me and he's like, well, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. And I remember just being like, yeah, you know, I mean, people are passionate about Gatorade. Don't get me wrong. It's a badge brand. I love Gatorade, but like no one's asking to be buried with their squeeze bottle, you know, (laughs) doesn't mean as much. And I just like the hair on my arms was just stood up and I was like, oh my gosh, I, of course I'm nuts. I have to take this job. This is like one of the most iconic brands in the world. And like, it's a great opportunity. Like it's, it's scary and I won't be as comfortable as I am at Gatorade, but I mean, it was just, it was the craziest moment. Oh my God, Lord. That is insane. (laughs) And so cool. I mean, I, I truly believe in signs. I believe that, you know, things happen for a reason. And when you saw something like that, obviously you took the leap because that was 2018 and now, you know, it's 2020 and you're, you're here, but that's just insane. I literally got a chill when you said that. I had chill bumps stand up. It's funny because I didn't obviously at the time tell my friend who's, you know, whose father's wake I was at. I was not going to tell her about it. That was not the moment in time. But like maybe a month or so later, I was like, I have to tell you something because it's, you know, pretty crazy. And she like called her mom immediately. And then she's like, we were both just crying. How wonderful. Like, I'm so glad you told us that, you know, um, it just sort of felt like kind of a warm, fuzzy thing um, that was keeping their dad's spirit alive. Oh, that is, and that's how people feel about the Cubs. You know, you go to these Cub games, it's a family affair. I think about the Chicago Cubs and it just brings a smile to my face. And obviously, let's, let's talk to the elephant in the room. Good old 2020 pops up, right? Mm-hmm. Hello, 2020. And 
you know, the world was wonderful. We would, yeah, I lived near Wrigley and there would be people parking down the street from my apartment to walk to the game and you go out to, you know, Clark Street and there'd be all kinds of people everywhere. So talk to me about how your role specifically has changed with this new virtual environment and COVID and all the things that allow us not to be in big groups as much anymore. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a time to work in live events. Yeah. Right. I mean, the the thing that is <laughs> the craziest is that, you know, because we were on the precipice of a new season, we had just, our plan was fully loaded and, you know, kind of going into my third season, I think I had enough experience under my belt. I knew enough about how the organization worked. And it was sort of like the first year that we had a plan that I really felt like soup to nuts, like I was making a mark. <laughs> um, and it just, you know, blew up in our faces, obviously. And we kind of just had to take a step back and figure out like, okay, in a world where, you know, we are so meaningful to people, whether we're playing baseball or not, how on earth are we going to continue to engage with our fans and like bring them hope and joy in a time when there wasn't a lot to be hopeful or joyful about? And, you know, I have an amazing team and, and everyone really kind of came together and probably the first couple of weeks was just total triage of like, okay, what, what are everyone's jobs going to be and how are their responsibilities going to shift given this reality? Because I have about half my team where their roles were, you know, 90% tied to, you know, in-season playing games and other activations happening at Wrigley Field. And then another half who, you know, are really focused on advertising and content production, ticket sales, and, you know, kind of social media development. And, you know, we sort of ended up having to kind of really rewrite job descriptions and and figure out who was going to cover what and how we were going to bolster certain teams um, and their capabilities to kind of churn out news and information and compelling content to our fans in real time. Um, and so the, you know, kind of coming out of probably the April, May timeframe, when we started to get more clarity on like, there will be a season, you know, then it kind of became, wow, well, how do we really like, in ways we never have before start optimizing our product, just for the broadcast experience, because you know, we know in Chicago, there wasn't a world where we were going to be able to have fans. So, you know, we also, it was the the launch of um, the Cubs uh, Regional Sports Network, Marquee Sports Network. So it was the maiden voyage of our new Cubs dedicated sports network. And so we're trying to partner with them as much as we can. You know, we were in the midst of basically filming a, a series called Cubs 162 that was kind of a a little bit of like a hard knocks type take on, you know, behind the scenes with the Cubs and we were producing it both for our channels as well as our regional sports network and like figuring out how to produce that remotely, you know, was nuts. We had a couple of players who were quarantining together in Arizona who were, you know, trying to send cameras to and tell them what they can film. We had players who started launching their own podcasts. And so we're trying to help, you know, them promote some of that. Um, and, and then in the midst of all this, our Cubs charities team, which is usually incredibly focused on, you know, sort of using the power of sport to uplift, you know, communities where there's children in need, you know, they had to kind of pivot all their efforts towards, you know, more COVID relief. So we're, you know, trying to help them, you know, pull together, um, you know, promotion for different things that was going to allow them to raise funds or get needed items into the hands of people in Chicago. And like, it was, you know, I, I'm proud to say that, like, nobody knew what was going on, but everybody was just so flexible and kind of had, just this really great understanding of like, there's not a lot to be joyful about. And as long as the Chicago Cubs can continue to be a source of joy for people, then we can continue to take pride in our work, even if it looks a little different than it normally would. Mm. Oh my God. I have so many things I want to unpack from that. And as another person who did live events, I not at your level, I <laughs> the word triage, that word really stuck out to me. <laughs> That feels right. That feels right. And that, I mean, what a journey that you had to personally go through as a leader. What a journey the world went through collectively, right? But I think 
just hearing you say that, I'm sure so many people are sitting here listening like, okay, yeah, similar situation, not the Cubs, but we did the same thing. We had to completely reconfigure our business plan. Uh, Our entire marketing calendar was completely, you know, ripped to shreds and we had to reconfigure everything. And I just think knowing that you did this at this level, right? Like this is a huge organization and a big part of the Chicago community and that your mission then became, we're a source of joy. How do we continue to be that? That is impactful and beautiful. And that's why you are in that seat, girl. That's it. Because that's, that is beautiful. And I think a lot of people in any leadership capacity listening can relate to that in some way, shape or form. Hey, Failed It fam. Are you a leader for a small or large team that's stuck working from home? Are you missing the in-office happy hours or training sessions that allow people to interact and get to know each other? Are you sick of staring at a spreadsheet and you want something that will not only enhance team morale, but also build soft skills? Then Improve It has your back. We've pivoted all 11 of our in-person soft skill training workshops to this virtual environment. Using Zoom, we'll create a memorable hour and a half experience that can train your team on things like effective communication, leadership, thinking quickly on your feet, presentation skills, and networking all in this virtual environment. Leading a team of interns, let us wow them with our Career 101 workshop. Leading a sales team who's figuring out how to cold call or even warm call in this virtual world, have our team of improv professionals facilitate our sales training workshop. If this is the spice that your team needs to get out of this work from home rut, email us at info at learn to improve it.com. Again, that's info at learn to improve it.com. And that's T-O improve it.com. Or you can head to our website, learn to improve it.com to learn more. We would love to help you improve your it virtually, whatever your it might be. I want to kind of take a quick little turn. It's like a little soft turn. It's not a, it's not a fierce <laughs> turn, but I want to do a little. So I know this. I know you have two cute little kiddos. You talked about them earlier. Let's, let's do this. Let's fast forward. It's the year 2030. Okay. 10 years from now. What will you tell them about the year 2020? And I know they're old enough now to kind of comprehend, but what will you tell them that this year meant for you and your family? You know, honestly, my husband and I talk about this a lot because like 2020 was the year the world slowed down and looked in the mirror. Yeah. Like there, and I was just saying this to someone the other day because, you know, those months of like March, April, and May were really scary. And especially, you know, as someone who my husband's a commercial airline pilot and I work in, you know, live sports. So those aren't exactly uh, (laughs) careers where you necessarily felt super safe with all of the uncertainty around the impacts of COVID, you know, over the long term. And now that I look back on it, had I known what I know now that like everything will be okay, you know, and um, you're going to be fine and get through it. I would have enjoyed quarantine a lot more than I did because like, we had to find ways to kind of create the awareness of space and time for our kids since they didn't have school and activities. So like we, I know a lot of people did this, but we had so much fun doing like the themed days, like, you know, fancy Fridays. I had, I had this rent the runway subscription. I don't know if you use rent the runway, Erin, but like, and I didn't, it's not even anywhere to go, but so I was ordering like fancy cocktail and ball gowns (laughs) wearing them with my family on Fridays and letting the kids get dressed up and making fancy dinners. And like, you know, we would do wacky Wednesdays where we had to, you had to dress up like another member of the family or, you know, just any little theme we could come up with to infuse like some whimsy (laughs) in what otherwise was not necessarily a whimsical time. Um, But like underneath the surface of all that was just constant extreme anxiety. And so I felt a little bit like I was putting on a show for my kids um, rather than like really enjoying it. And now I'm like, man, I really wish I had just told myself to just calm down and enjoy it in the moment. Um, But they're going to have some amazing memories. I think that hopefully will be more rooted in just like how much time we were together as a family 
versus this cloud of it being because of a pandemic. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. First of all, I canceled my rent the one went the one way, my rent the runway membership. And now I have regrets. What a good idea. No, I'm telling you, my husband like still is like, really, do you still have that thing right now? You're still not going into work. You're not going to <laughs> events. Why do you have this? I don't know. I'm just like, you know, we, we got to look for the small things right now. And when that little bag of goodies shows up at my door, you know, yes, yes. something for me. I'm so impressed by that. And you know what? I know this is, you know, we already said this isn't safe for work, whatever. I'm braless and flawless right now. And I have no regrets on that either. I have no regrets. I'm just, you know, I went from renting the runway weekly to literally living in my own slippers and like a matter of a week. And I haven't changed out of them since March of 2020. So that is motivational for me and also beautiful because I do think there's a lot in that, that we were all so ridden with anxieties. And and I think, you know, it's kind of, we kind of become a little not numb. I don't want to say numb, but I think we've all figured out how to navigate this a lot better. But I, what I love about you, and this is something that I relate to, and I know a lot of women who listen to this podcast, one in particular is going to love. Um, so I remember at Ashley's bachelorette party, you came and it was your daughter. You came because you love Ashley. She's a dear friend. She was an employee. And you wanted to be there for her, but it was also your daughter's birthday. Or was it your daughter or your son? I think it was your daughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're like, I'm going to come. And you literally came. Like you got there the second day. You stayed for one night, but you were like fully present that one night. But you just made it work. And like you flew, that flight was not easy. Like it was from Chicago to Santa Barbara. So like you made that happen for Ashley. So you showed up as a friend, you showed up as a mentor and a leader, and then you're showing up for your kids at in your daughter's birthday. I'm now a new mom. And I know there's a lot of women listening who are mothers. And I think you've really navigated this work of balance. And, and, and trust me, I know the word balance, I won't say is, is really there as, as a mother who works. But like, if anybody out there is listening, how would you say you have really taken this to heart? How have you infused motherhood and working together in your life? And I'm not going to call it balance. How have you infused it together? Yeah. I mean, well, for me, a lot of it was just figuring out how I could have both a rewarding career on a brand I had passion for and be more fully present for my kids. Cause that was a big reason why I made the shift from Gatorade to the Cubs. It wasn't because I was unhappy at Gatorade. It was because I was traveling every week, literally every week. And there were just weren't really a lot of boundaries in terms of like what the work day did or didn't look like. And, you know, working for an iconic sports brand in Chicago where I wasn't going to have to travel and where my schedule was going to be known. I mean, when you have a baseball schedule until COVID, that is like, you knew when you had games, it's not like they sneak up on you and the last minute you're, you know, flying to Singapore. So it, you know, that was a big part of why I made that move was that I did sort of reach a point where I was like, my career ambitions are now encroaching on my ability to like be the kind of mom I want to be. Um, so it, it did require that trade-off. And I feel very lucky that I found something that I do think was the right step forward. It wasn't a compromise by any means. Um, and, but it did, it took me probably 18 months to, to find that thing where I felt like I could be more present for my children, but not feel like I was, you know, kind of taking a step back um, professionally. And then, I mean, I think like, honestly, being a mom has also probably made me a better leader and a, and a better boss just because like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a patient person, Aaron. I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to teach you so much about patience and like, you learn that, you know, there's so much more to be gained from like being present and intentional with them instead of like yelling or, you know, disciplining or whatever it is. It's kind of like, there's definitely things that, especially as my children have grown and can argue with me more now, (laughs) um, that has just like really helped me have a more 
patient and empathetic outlook for the people who work on my team. Mm, interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to those days because I've got a 16 month old right now. He just babbles. So I'm 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 also learning when I say I'm looking forward to those days, I'm looking forward to when he can actually communicate, but I'm also like learning through this patience and empathy and a whole new world opened up for me as well when I became a mom, because I do think that we, as women in leadership roles and as mothers, we have to learn to really take care of ourselves first so that we can take care of other people. And that's what I'm hearing you say you did in this journey from Gatorade to the Cubs was really... I'm going to take care of myself. And by doing that, I'm going to stop traveling so I can be the mother that I want to be to to my kids and I can show up the way I want to show up. And then also, you know, like you said, I know Gatorade was an amazing, magical place. I know that for a fact. I watched those days happen. Um, But also there's something really nice about having a schedule of knowing when things are going to happen and not having to jump on a plane at a moment's notice. So I love that. I think so many moms relate to that. And there's just, I, I feel like I struggle with this too. There's never going to be a work-life balance. It's a work-life blend. And I think, you know, you got to get through it. You just got to keep getting through it and learning as you go. And I'm going to take that word empathy and patience and put it in the tool belt. And I hope others. <laughs> I, it is, I think it, it got harder again when we were working from home because like my kids don't, totally understand the idea that like I'm present here in my home office, but that they can't have my attention. Right. So, you know, at least when I'm at my office, I'm not here. So I'm not a distraction. The, the part that is tough. And in some ways, I hope they're, they're seeing me work and understand how committed I am to my job and what it looks like to, to work hard. And, and maybe they're seeing it in a more hands-on way than they would when I'm, you know, downtown at our office by Wrigley. But like, that part of it's really tough. And knowing that nobody's going back to work anytime soon, like that's something that I know I'm really still struggling to navigate is like, I, you know, I hear them come in the door, the school day's over. And I know they want to come in here and tell me about their day. And I want them to know that I want to hear about it. But like, I'm, you know, in the middle of a meeting or trying to finish a presentation and the boundaries, you know, are getting redrawn on all of us again. God, isn't that the truth? I, you know, just when you think you got it all figured out, yeah. COVID hit. <laughs> but that's, I, I love that. And I think every, I don't have kids who are older, but I have so many friends with, with kids, your kids ages. And I just think the navigation of working and being a mom and also trying to figure out what's safe, where, where, you know, where are those boundaries and, also the like anxiety of making sure that they're safe and that your home is safe and that now you're trying to also figure out how to somewhat teach your kids, parent and work at the same time is just really hard. And I also know that you have an amazing husband and I know that a lot of women out there listening feel like that falls on them, right? And I think what we're seeing in this moment and tell me what you think about this is that women's role as mothers is now becoming just as equal as a, like our men are seeing women, I should say, and what I feel like our empathetic nature is towards to, to go in and help the kids and do all those things. I feel like what's happening is there's becoming more equal parts. And I think that that has happened over time anyway, but COVID in my opinion has really opened a lot of people's eyes to what it means to be a working parent and a working mom because the things that people I know with kids who are of learning age, right? Like that where they were being asked to do and all of this hit, I just I just give so much love to because it's oh, crazy, yeah. you know, the amount of things that you were asked to do on a daily basis. Parent teach and also show up to be, you know, the person that you are at work. Well, and I'm, I'm lucky. My kids are in school right now. Um, and we're not dealing with the e-learning thing, but last year when we, when we were, I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, my, my husband has a job that allows him to kind of be that primary parent as it relates to, you know, the kids' school and activities. I don't know how people who didn't have a partner to take on that load of responsibility did it. And, 
you know, I have some people on my team who were experiencing it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that'll come from COVID is just like, everybody gets that there's just priorities that are bigger than like, what's this task that we're discussing in this meeting. And the way that you've been able to kind of see people's worlds, whether it's like, you know, commenting on the room someone's in and the decor in their home, or there's kids popping into stuff like it. I mean, I I think that even people who maybe weren't super patient with working parents now have had to be exposed to it in a way that I just think it'll, it'll have long-term positive lasting impacts of people just feeling more comfortable being like, I got to cover something for my kids, or I can't, I can't join that call. Send me the notes afterwards. You know, I've got something going on with my little one. Oh, I love that. And it is so true too. I really do think the barriers have been, what's interesting is I feel like we've been asked to wear masks, but our like hypothetical masks have come off at, at work. That's so deep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Write that down, everyone. That's a juicy nugget for you in your notebooks. But I mean, it, <laughs> it feels to me that exactly what you said. You see people turn on, you see their home decor. You're letting people in on your life a little bit. And I do feel like a part of what you know, Improve It as a company does is we show up to help people break down those barriers and be their real selves. And I think it's just happening naturally through this process. I don't even know how I got us down this tangent because I wasn't going there, but it feels right. I feel like people need to hear this from you because you're such, you're a powerhouse at work. I feel like I know you as a friend, as a mom, as a leader. And I think that's something that should be one and the same. And people need to know you're a multi-hyphenated lady. All right. You've got goods all over the place. You're doing (laughs) stuff. You're doing stuff. Let me ask you this. So we say, now I didn't really touch too hard on your failures. So you're getting off easy, Lauren Fritz on the failed podcast. No, no, but I, I, what I love from your, your conversation is that I think what you've learned through this is through COVID has been really helpful, especially coming from the live event space. And would you say real quick, is there anything that you would say is more that sticks out to you more than what you've gone through in the past year career wise, as you would consider a quote unquote fail? Is there anything else that sticks out to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, where do I start? I like when I think I have like sort of a micro fail and then a macro fail, the micro fail I had that was like so illuminating for me was I was working in lobbying and public affairs and we were pulling together, you know, it was some kind of like big briefing document for um, kind of a community outreach initiative. And there was like a typo or a mistake in the final product. And I was mortified and I, you know, was like, okay, well, I got to tell the client. And I kind of went into the owner of the company that I work for. And I was just like, Hey, listen, I just found this mistake. Like this is on me. I think we've got to reprint this because it's not the client's mistake that this happened. Like this is all my fault. And I, you know, ultimately I think we have to do what we need to do to make it right. And before I go and tell them about this, I want to be able to tell them that we're going to cover the cost of reprinting all these briefing books or whatever it was. And like, I was scared out of my mind. And I remember the owner of the company was like, yeah, let's absolutely do that. And like, I'm so glad that you've come to me and handled this in this way. And he actually ended up promoting me two weeks later. Wow. And I was, that was, I thought it was so weird because I'm like, okay, I just really kind of like effed up. Um, and I didn't understand where it came from. And I, I asked him about it. Um, and the way that he framed it to me is a quote that I love. I'm going to probably get it wrong. I'm paraphrasing it, but it's like, if you take the blame when you deserve it, people will give you responsibility. Like, Mm. it's like, I, I took the blame. Like I fessed up when I messed up and that made him somehow see me as more trustworthy. It was the strangest thing, but like that really stuck with me. And so I feel like now when I have these micro mess ups, like I very quickly accept the blame and I'm like, man, I really have that up or like, sorry guys, that's my bad. Or, you know, Oh, this project isn't on point. Like I'm the one who gave the team the direction to do it this way. So that's on me, not on them. Like I feel like I'm, I'm glad that that happened to me early in my career because it made me a little less afraid of like the day-to-day failures, if that makes sense. Mm, yep. 
hundred percent. I love that. I love, okay, wait. And so from that, what would you say? I think you've, what you're telling us though, is the business, the biggest lesson that you've learned is fess up when you mess up, which I like that a lot. And also taking into consideration, just owning your ish, right? Owning what you're there to do, what your job is to do. And by owning it, if you mess up, really coming to the table with, hey, this was something that I was supposed to do. It didn't happen. Actually helped you. It was a fail that turned what I like to call, because you do know we do improv for business. And one of the biggest rules of improv is there are no mistakes, only gifts. And so you turned that fail or your mistake into a gift, really, because you got promoted from actually being a good human and a trustworthy human being who admittedly failed. But we all make mistakes. You're human, right? So interesting. Well, I think vulnerability too. I feel like, um, and I don't think it matters whether it's peer to peer or, you know, direct report to boss or vice versa. Like I think vulnerability gets people places in business because it just makes like the human connection so much more possible. And I feel like there's nothing more vulnerable than being like, I messed that up. Like, man, I, you know, And I just, I think people who get really defensive about it or, um, you know, try to shift blame or place blame, like everybody sees through that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm just, I think, Lauren, that's, that's it. And I think vulnerability is also becoming a buzzword in 2020. And I love it because I do think when we ask people to do improv at work, a lot of times they automatically freeze up. And a lot of the people that you think would be great at it or want to have fun with it get really tense because it requires a level of vulnerability. Coming on this podcast requires a level of vulnerability, right? And I actually think what the world is seeing because of 2020 and what we're going through, people are now respecting vulnerability and realness more than ever. So I think the fact that you did that early in your career, you were a pioneer, Lauren Freds. You were a pioneer, okay? (laughs) So let me ask you this. What did you fail at today? Oh, um, so I actually just looked up. I'm staring at a giant glass of water. I have had on my New Year's resolution list for the last easily 20 years to drink half my body weight in water a day is like something I'm trying to do. Apparently that's like really good for you. Somehow I managed to drink half my body weight in wine. I don't know why I have no problem. (laughs) I cannot for the life of me make myself drink water. I don't like if any of your listeners have tips for that, like feel free to send them my email address and whatever. But like I, I right here, I just looked up and I'm standing. I have a tall glass of water sitting right next to my computer. Haven't taken a sip of it. I, I don't know why I'm so god awful at hydrating myself. When I used to work for 12 years for a company that was all about hydration, it's right the strangest thing. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Do you consider LaCroix a water? Uh, no, I don't think I will. Okay, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. I got an idea for you. You ready? Yeah. Do some water shots. Like, remember how good we were at the wine shots? Water shots. A really good idea because it makes it feel like a party. Yeah, put on some music. Shots, 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 shot, you know, and then just chug them back. Take them back. Oh, I'm going to try that. <laughs> oh, blessings. Okay, well. We are getting to something that I love and I know you'll love. It's called the fail. Yeah. Lightning round. And there's a little improv here, Lauren Fritz. And I don't want you to get nervous because you're going to crush it. What's going to happen is I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And after each question, you can only respond with a one word answer. If you say more than one word, I'm going to give you a big fail. Yeah. Just like that. Like in a really weird voice, like fail. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready for the failure lightning round? Yes. Okay, here we go. One word to describe your early career. Messy. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Settled. One word to describe your future self. Adventurous. One word to describe your favorite boss. Fun. One word to describe your least favorite boss. 
know-it-all. It's one word because it's hyphenated. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one word to describe your management style. Chill. And one word to describe your DJ skills at a party style. Hot. Yeah. And one word to describe this interview. Amazing. Yes. You nailed it. You didn't fail at Lauren Fritz. I'm so oh, proud of you. Man, oh. My pits are sweating, Erin. <laughs> Listen, I know. this. It, when I say improv, people get sweaty. It's like sweaty pits, you know, automatically. But you did great. Just get a little D.O. under there. You're good to go. I'm so. <laughs> okay. So tell people if they want to connect with you, how can they find you? So I am, I think across all platforms, I am Fritzy Girl. Yes. Um, okay. Just I, no one really calls me Lauren. Everybody ever since I've gotten married and changed my name has been, I've been Fritz or Fritzy. So I'm Fritzy Girl. The only thing I will say is that if you follow me on TikTok, it's actually my daughter making my TikToks. So I wouldn't, <gasps> wouldn't recommend that platform. Um, that, was, that was a compromise for her to be able to play on TikTok since I don't believe, you know, at the ripe old age of nine, she's old enough for social media. That is fair. And now I must learn TikTok to find that. I'm, I'm, I'm like a granny when it comes to it. I tried it one time. I was like, too much. Uh, so I will have to, sh- I will have to find that because that is fun for me and I think all of us but we will we'll look for Fritzy girl we'll put it in the show notes I want to just tell you Lauren Fritz Fritzy girl thank you so much for batting it out of the park hitting some home runs oh, and putting oh, some sails up on the board you like that you like <laughs> you've been waiting all hour for that haven't you <laughs> I wrote it before. It was in my show notes. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, yes, swing and a miss. Uh, All right. What a metaphor, right? So I think today's episode is going to hit a home run for anyone who's interested in reaching their goals, achieving their their, their dreams, their dreams. (laughs) I have to say, though, truly, your hashtag gifts, your fails, whatever we want to call them, I said they're gifts. They remind us that we have to fail in order to improve. And you've truly improved yourself all the way to the top. Your career is so awesome. I'm so grateful you came on the show to share it with us. Thank you, Lauren Fritz, Fritzy girl. You're welcome, Erin. And to the Failed It family, fail, yeah. Fail, freaking yeah. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but want to leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.